Shannon. And I am Rami. And this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard or experienced to help us all expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy without a whole new degree. Shannon. Yeah. Uh, normally, I digress knowing the title of our podcast episode and say something that makes no sense. Uh, this week, I won't do that. So, what are we talking about? Are, are you giving up on your clever intro? <laughs> I honestly couldn't think of one. The one that I had is so bad that I will not say it again. <laughs> okay, And good. we're just going to have to talk about your book. Okay, great. I think so, it's a book, right? It's a book. It's a book. So, this week, we're talking about a book called Life is in the Transitions by Bruce Feiler. I think is how you say his name. And essentially, this book was, in my opinion, a timely study, perhaps the most recent study I've seen on transitions, which is all about like, how do we navigate these big moments that we have with meaning, purpose and skill? I, th- I really like how he presents this book in such an approachable way, more so than other transition books that I've read. And I've read a lot. I joked with Rami when we got on today. I was like, Rami, we're talking about another transition book today. So, Shannon, is this, we don't do this frequently, but I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh Is this a, if we're interested in this podcast and we like it, is this a book that we can pick up and read that is not super dense? That's like actually readable? This is the book that I recommend to um, clients or people who are like, hey, I can't afford coaching, but how the hell do I move through this transition I'm moving through? I'll be like, go read this book. Like, this is now my go-to book that I'll point people to he weaves in like storytelling which i really appreciate to like illustrate some of the concepts of the things that he's talking about which makes it almost like a half fiction half non-fiction read i mean it's it's, it's all non-fiction yeah yeah so in that sense it's definitely like you could go pick it up and read it awesome okay so the first thing i want to talk about is why the hell does this topic of transitions matter so much When I say the word transitions, we'll talk a little bit more about what those mean. But I think about like the big life and career, love, whatever transitions that you might be moving through. So Rami, I want to do a fast Q&A with you. Are you game? Uh, Sure. Okay, sweet. (laughs) So it's basically to illustrate kind of like the volume of changes that we go through. So Rami, how many jobs do you think the average person holds before age 50? 50. Um... 10. 12. Hmm. And, but it increases the higher education that you have, like to a point. I think after PhDs, it decreases again. But it's like if you have higher education, like if you went to college, it goes up to 15, which I think is interesting. How long do you think a typical job lasts? How many years? I mean, I can do math like three years. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, under age 35, it's three years. Over the span of life, it's four years. Okay. What percent of American workers do you think are disengaged in their jobs? This was done in 2019, 2018? Before COVID. 60%. 90. 90? Now it's got to be like 99%. I know, right? I was like, oh my God. 90% of American workers are disengaged with their jobs. Uh, and how many of them did you think said that they would choose a different career? 90% are disengaged. How many would actually choose a different career? Mm, 50%? 60. 
Uh, how many people in America right now have side hustles? That, um, I don't know, 60%? 40%. And uh, last question here. How long do you think the average transition lasts? Like the bigger scale transitions where multiple things are changing at once in your life. 18 months? Four plus years. <laughs> of people in the survey said it took four or more years, which blew my mind. But then as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess that makes sense. So what's my whole point with like doing this little like Q&A round? I think it's to just realize the sheer like volume of change that people are moving through or that they're desiring a little bit. And also to illustrate the volume of just how much of our life is consumed by transitions in and of itself. And we'll get to that a little bit more later. But like if you're if your transition is lasting four years and you're moving through studies now show us this study now shows us you move through at least three to five major transitions in your lifetime. That's a lot of freaking time spent in transition. And a quote that he says in the book that I really loved is that it's time that we see ourselves as what we are, a people in perpetual flux. So how do we begin to really embrace it versus continuing to resent and resist the transition moments that are thrown our way? And that's what this book is all about. So there's three themes that I want to walk us through from the book. I mean, there's so much in this book, but there's just a couple that I want to point out. The first one is talking about disruptors versus quakes, because there is some distinction to be made of like different kinds of transitions you might be experiencing. The second is the seven tools of transitions. Like what are the skills we can really focus on when we're moving through transition and change? And then the fourth or the third one, excuse me, is the what he calls the ABCs of meaning, which are the primary reasons why we might seek out transition in the first place or why we might pull a lever to begin to make a change. So let's begin with disruptors versus quakes. What sexy words to use for transition. I was just like, he he had a way with like finding ways to articulate things. So let's define what he thinks of as a disruptor. So disruptor is something like a health issue. Uh, It can be positive things like getting married, divorce, the birth of a child, the death of somebody, a job loss or gain. Those are examples of what disruptors might be. Okay. And what he found is that the stories of disruption are often around five central themes. Love which was the most common, which I thought was fascinating because I've been married to the same guy. I've been like with the same guy since 19. So it doesn't really feel resonant for me, (laughs) but love can be a big Mm -hmm. disruptor for folks. Disruption around your identity. So parts of your identity that are shifting and changing your beliefs, your work or your body, which I think of again as like the health issue category. Yep. So he further breaks down disruptors or uh, transitions more broadly disruptors into two different categories, if you will. Uh, well, I'd say four different categories, but but two different types. So disruptors can be personal or collective driven. And at the time of this research, 87% of disruptors were personal versus being driven by the collective. Now, since this research came out, I'll give an example of what collective disruption would be. COVID. <laughs> so COVID yep. is a collective disruptor, right? It disrupted literally the entire world. And it caused a lot of us to transition. So I would be curious if he were to redo this research post-COVID or even during COVID, how that 
percent of disruptions would change dramatically because I know quite a few yeah. folks who are changing their lives based on the collective disruption that was COVID. Yep. So it could be personal or collective and disruptor types can be voluntary or involuntary. 57% are involuntary where I thought this was a really helpful distinction to offer to folks is more, um, to piece out like you can have the involuntary things that happen to you like a layoff which we've talked about before Mm -hmm. or you can voluntarily choose like i have clients who might be choosing to say you know what this marriage is not working for me anymore i gotta go or um this location that i'm in isn't working anymore i need to leave like geographically Mm -hmm. whether it's for career reasons or personal reasons so that would be an example of like voluntary versus involuntary Okay, I've got disruptor. What is the quake then? Yeah. So I think the question is like, how does a disruptor become a quake? So a disruptor, there's like 30 to 40 disruptions that can happen in the average person's life. So just take that in for a moment. 30 to 40 disruptions will happen in your lifetime. That makes sense, right? If we're talking about like a job gain or loss, that might just be a medium thing that we get through. Yes, yes. Okay. And... He says, I think it's like three to five, but it's edging upwards to like five to seven times the disruptors become quakes, which if you think about it, like in a Richter scale kind of setting, it's like the disruptors are just like the little things. Quakes is like, holy crap, we're getting up there on the Richter scale. I think to really, he he talks a lot about this, but I think to really summarize it, how something becomes a quake is a clumping together thing that happens a pile up if you will so imagine a car accident for a moment it's when multiple little disruptors are all happening and destabilizing you in a in a tight time frame if you will so the examples that he shared in the book from people's personal stories is like you get fired and your mom gets cancered you question your faith your car gets totaled and your daughter is diagnosed with anorexia like that's an example of the pileups that tend to happen And as I work with clients who are going through more of the major change, that is how it happens. It's like, oh, my mom was diagnosed with her breast cancer again, and uh, our district went through restructuring, and my marriage is on the rocks. Holy crap, I need to make some changes. So Mm -hmm. just focusing more on like the clumping together. And is how you'd get a quake is how you get a quake. And then two, it's like, he says these is like, if they're different things, but I see them as very related. It's also about timing in the sense that these clumps are happening at particularly vulnerable, exhausted, or frustrating times in your life, which I think makes sense because it's like, well, if they're clumping together, yeah, I'm going to start to get worn down and feel exhausted and frustrated and vulnerable. Yes. So typically because of that clumping and, and compressed time frame, if you will, where you're feeling vulnerable, it's the spark that ignites a lot of major change in a person's life. So that's a little bit of background on like, we've got these disruptors and we've got these quakes. And I think it's important to distinguish between the two, because I would say uh, when I work with clients, it's like quakes require a different level of depth, so to speak, Mm -hmm. on what you might be moving through. Disruptors is more of like that, like, okay, we can just like tweak a couple little things and then get back on with our merry little life. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because we're going to have, you said, what, 30 to 40 disruptors in our lives, but only like three to five quakes. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. So Rami, I'm curious now knowing the difference between disruptors and quakes, have you had any life quakes yet at this point in your life? Would you say where multiple shit went wrong at the same time? 
I think about when um, my wife and I were in grad school mm. in our house. We had pipes burst. Mm. And so we were like working a bunch, going to grad school, and our house was in shambles. And that was, I think, the moment I felt the thinnest in terms of like all things. Yeah. <laughs> What did it inspire uh, you to do or change? I think it convinced my wife that we should leave Minnesota. Yeah. Because pipes don't burst on the West Coast. I don't think I knew that. Like, I didn't I didn't know the pipes burst part of, like, oh, what all went out, into that decision. It was in our top floor. So it blew out the entire middle floor. And then also the top floor, like, where it blew up. Ugh. And then our whole middle floor was garbage. And then our basement was mostly fine. Like, the only usable shower for a long time was in our basement. (laughs) Oh, what a drag. And it was, like, ripped down to, like, the rafters for a long time. So it was, like, you had indoor slippers. Yeah. Like, just because it was construction. So that felt like a quake moment. Yeah, absolutely. You (laughs) pile up, yeah, and you picked up and moved across the country. (laughs) Like, not, like, right away, I imagine, but... Within five years, if we look at the transition yeah, timeline. Yeah, if that transition can last for five years, then for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, what comes to mind is the biggie that we've talked about before. So it was the pile up for me of getting laid off, then going back, then um, having five people pass away within like five months of each other. Um that just began to wake me up to feel like a pileup of like, Oh wow. Yeah. Stuff's got to change here. This isn't working anymore. Can I ask the question? So we have normal disruptors. Those happen. Those don't cause us to like step back and reevaluate because it's like one part of our lives. that's getting transitioned. Yes. A quake because it's like hitting us on all fronts. Yep. And really pulling us, straining us, I would say. Is that why it forces us to really do deeper work because we're like more emotionally vulnerable because we're so piled upon? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's like you're fried. You've entered, if we go to some of our other episodes, like you've entered a phase of burnout potentially at that point. Mm -hmm. Not potentially, highly likely you're in burnout space. And so it can be this overwhelming, I think a lot of times, I was just on the phone with a, uh, a person for initial consult yesterday, it can be overwhelming of like, F, like, how did I get here? How did all of this stuff pile up? Which then makes you begin to ask the bigger questions, I think, because you're, you're starting with that how or why of like, well, how, how, how did we get here? <laughs> what happened? Where did I go wrong? That then makes you want to reevaluate more things. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I feel like when it's just like a normal disruptor, it's like, oh, okay, yep, I'm going to get a new job or whatever it is. But when it's like a quake, it's like, I want to change something humongous about my life that I wouldn't have even questioned before. Yes. But now I'm at the point where like, I'm one, willing to have that conversation, but then two, like willing to make that change. Yes. Yes. And oftentimes, I think the most common pairing that I see is uh, career and health, either your health or someone else's around you. 
Oh, that seems I to see. be a particularly potent combination for folks. Um, whether it's it was you or somebody around you that's like, a, whoa, my mom was just diagnosed with cancer or my dad's suffering from Parkinson's, whatever it might be. That's like the, whew, yeah, I don't want to live like this anymore. Life is short kind of sensation that can come up for folks. And yeah. two, I think like, let's not get too hung up on like disruptor versus quake, because I would say it is like a spectrum, you know, it is yep. like the Richter scale of like, it's like, okay, yeah, we can have those like positive disruptions, so to speak of, I got a new job. Um, and we can have a gradient here that goes into like, holy F there's seven things that all landed on me at one point, one time. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think it's helpful okay, just to distinguish. Do you have some tools for us? Yeah, of course I have tools always in every book. So one thing that he laid out so cleanly that I haven't seen in other books is what he calls the seven tools of transition. And we're going to kind of breeze through these because there's, there's a lot of them here. So the first tool of transition that he says is to accept it. This is about identifying and accepting your emotions. Second tool, mark it. That's about ritualizing the change in some ways, like finding a way to denote a beginning and an ending. Third, shed it. Giving up old mindsets is how he describes this. But I would say it's like giving up a bunch of old things. It's the letting go part of transition. Fourth. Hey, Shannon. Yeah. Why can't you give Elsa a balloon? (laughs) I don't know. Why can't I give Elsa a balloon? Because she'll let it go. (laughs) (coughs) Which I guess is, is... is shedding it, right? Yes, she's shedding. Yeah, be it Elsa. Let it go, for sure. Okay, create it, which is all about trying new things. Number six, share it. So I would say that's more of like share the burden of it. Like seek wisdom from other people. Don't put it all on yourself. Uh, oh, wait, was that six? Was that five? That was five. <laughs> that was five. five. Thank you. <laughs> Launch it. So unveiling your new self to the world around you and tell it composing a fresh story. One thing that he points out that I think is helpful for people who are like overwhelmed by that list. No one uses all seven tools and the tools are also rarely used in sequence. It's not like a follow this step-by-step because just like life is not sequential uh, and we're moving through transition. Transitions are also not going to be like linear in nature always. Yep. So, Rami, you've got the list in front of you, I think. So I don't have to say yes. them again. Um, Correct. What tools or skills would you say you feel like you're best at? I think it depends on the moment. So let me think about a, a moment. Uh-huh. I will think about our child being born. I think the tools that I used were accept it because... It happened. I need to embrace (laughs) and identify and accept my emotions. I think um, share it. So definitely asking others for their wisdom. And then, I don't know, maybe like a mix of launch it and tell it. In that like, I very much became a new self. But then I was also using that to tell a new story. That self is now a new story. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that example. Um, I think f- for me, I didn't think about this question before I just wrote it in. I think for me, I'm going to do the same thing you did. If I think about a specific moment, so I would say more recently for me, it's been the transition or the disruptor, so to speak, to choose to not be foster parents anymore. We mm-hmm. made the choice at the end of last year. 
And for me, it was accept it, identifying and accepting my emotions that it was draining a lot of life force from me and from my family, shedding it, so letting it go, and launching it, unveiling myself. Because I, I think I carried a lot of pride in the label, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it was like mm-hmm. quickly moving into the like, I'm just going to launch it and unveil this new self of like, hey, I'm not a foster parent anymore. Because my nervous system and my child's nervous system and my husband's nervous system really need to not be foster parents anymore. Yep. The other note that I wanted to make here is I I feel like he's missing some in my five years of doing this work with clients. He doesn't talk about in the toolkit. He doesn't talk about reflection or rest. And I'm not sure, Rami, if you would look at the list and be like, oh, maybe that's the place where you would engage in reflection. But nothing really stuck out to me is like uh, valuing making space for reflection for yourself. No, I agree. Because I look at it and I go, well, accept it and then shed it would be times to reflect and rest. But I don't think they're explicit enough. I think they're yeah. too implicit. Yeah. And so if I had to... Uh, punch at this a little bit, I might offer that the most important tools of transition are the rest, because you just went through something that was really hard, potentially, like in the in the quake moments, rest, and then reflect, and then um, the the shedding and creating feel like the four most important to me, maybe like the telling composing a fresh story, but that feels very much like once you're already in the new chapter, it's easier to like make sense of and try to f- compose a fresh story. But I don't know that that's really helpful to you when you're in the thick of it. Yeah. So those are seven tools of transition. If it's supportive for you, sometimes I'll offer not the this list, but the list that I just shared of like those four big ones to clients who really have a hard time seeing the value in transition, who really resist it. More is like a way to encourage of like, you're still building skills. This isn't a time because people can feel like, well, this is a time when I'm just like not doing anything. Like, I don't have a job or whatever. I just like had to leave behind this whole part of me. And it's like, no, you are learning valuable skills and growing, achieving something, quote unquote. It's just different than any skills that you've ever leveraged before, potentially. Yep. Okay, let's talk about the ABCs of meaning. So we've got 26. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, no, please tell me no. So the ABCs of meaning, no, it's just the three. The A, the B, and the C. Thank God. Oh, the god. A, and the B, and the C. Can you imagine if it was like, here's two things, and here's seven things, and here's 26, 26. things? <laughs> no. <laughs> so the ABCs of meaning are essentially like the pre the the three primary levers we might pull or seek out in transition. So Rami, I'm going to share these with you. And while I'm doing this, I would love for you to think about like if you've ever pursued a voluntary transition for any of these reasons. So the first A is for agency. So this is where you're trying to seek meaning by getting autonomy or freedom or creative creativity or mastery. Um, and, and it's really about like the belief that you can impact the world around you. He also links these to types of stories we might tell. And agency is about telling the me story. So it's the one in which you are the hero, the doer, the creator. You really get to exercise agency and have a return to feeling fulfilled again. 
So that is A for agency. B is for belonging. So this is about relationships and community and friends and family and the people that surround and nurture you. The story that pairs with belonging is the we story. So this is the wanting to be part of a community, a family or a team where you have that sense of like, we belong to a group and in turn feel needed. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we pursue change for that reason. The third C is for cause. So this is about a desire for a calling, a mission, a direction, a purpose, a commitment beyond yourself that makes your life worthwhile. And this is called the story, he says. And is the, the story is usually about serving an ideal, a faith, a cause where you really give of yourself to others in, in, in the end to feel a part of something larger. Okay, so <clears throat> quickly to recap, agency is the me story. Yes. Belonging is the we story. Yes. And causes the story. Uh-huh. Okay. So, uh, I can answer your question. Then. Yeah. I think cause multiple times. Oh, uh, tell me more. I think when I transitioned from Target, and I've probably told the story, so here it is, me telling a story again. Um one of my friends worked at a large soda bottler mm-hmm. and he always said that he didn't want to sell sugar water anymore. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do something that doesn't have purpose, right? Or a cause, which kind of shifted my trajectory at that point. And I've done that twice now and I'll probably do it again in my life, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered if you would say that your shift from, I'm just going to say the company's names because I think it's bullshit when we don't. Your shift from Target to Honest Company was Mm -hmm. a cause moment for you of like wanting to be a part of something that felt more worthwhile than perhaps Target at the time. At the time. Yeah, at the time. That's interesting to me that that is the one that you that first came to mind for you because four in 10 of us say that we have no cause. And he said something really interesting in the book that was thought provoking to me. He said, fewer of us are getting it from religion. So more of us are seeking cause through our work, but, but only a third of us say our work gives us meaning. And those who do tend to perform work that reduces, excuse me, those who do tend to feel like their work is their sense of meaning. They're doing work that reduces suffering, improves the world, generates delight. So like the doctors, the, even there's been the study, I think you've probably, you've probably heard this one before of like the people who even are like, um, not doctors or nurses in hospitals, but are like cleaning the hospital rooms. Mm -hmm. They feel a deeper sense of like meaning and impact in their work because yeah, they work in a hospital. They say that about janitors in hospitals, like really like their jobs because of that reason, because they feel like they're supporting others who are helping others yes. like, with those difficult moments. Yes. So more examples of where you might be aligning to cause. And I, I, I just thought that thing about religion, I mean, if we can go there for just a moment, was fascinating. Because I would say when I, uh, maybe this is like a whole other podcast episode. You could let me know if you don't want to go here. But it was like my my loss of faith that then I would say made me even more addicted to my work. But then when mm-hmm. I found it again, it was like, a, oh, okay. I don't have to be so obsessed with my work all the time because I have a sense of calling mission beyond myself. 
But honestly, looking at this list, I think belonging goes in that category too. Like when you've got more of a sense of belonging outside of your work, you probably can feel safer being less consumed by it all the time. Yep, I agree. Anyways, so perhaps thinking about those categories and seeing, well, now I'm going to the tactical. So, okay, let's let's sum this up, though. So today we covered talking about, like, why the heck should you care about transitions in the first place? Because we go through a mother effing lot of them. So might as well get comfortable and get great with them. We talked about the different uh, levels of transition. So is it a disruption or is it a full-on quake? We talked about the seven tools of how you might start getting better at transition? What are the things that you might focus on? And then we talked about the ABCs of meaning. So the three whys, you know, why might you be looking to make a change? And this brings me to the tactical. So how do you take this home, beautiful listeners? I have a couple questions for you. I think first is, what is the ABC of meaning you are most longing for right now? Are you longing for more agency? Are you longing for more belonging? Are you longing to feel like you're a part of a cause bigger than yourself? So think about that. Then my next question would be, what transition skill might you flex next to address that longing? Do you want to work on the accept it, the market, the shed it, the create it, the share it, the launch it, the tell it? And then my last one is just like, go for it. So just like, take that one step, embrace that one skill and that one meaning that you're longing for, the one thing that you identified, because we're going to be spending most of our life in transition versus riding the highs after. Mm-hmm. I love that. Shannon, I love it. Mm-hmm. Life is in the transitions. Life is in the now transitions. Now we have the tools. <laughs> we can identify them. Yes. So with that, we'd love for you to connect with us on Instagram, on LinkedIn, Let us know if there's an ABC that's really connecting with you right now, or if there's a transition skill that you're really flexing. Um, We'd love to hear it. Uh, And with that, I've been Rami. And I've been Shannon, and this has been Workplace Hugs. (laughs) 